Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Italian Wine Podcast is delighted to present a series of highlights from the 2022 Wine to Wine Business Forum, focusing on wine communication and bringing together the most influential speakers in the sectors to discuss the hottest topics facing the wine industry today. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central European Time or visit winetowine.net for more information. Um, thank you for coming. Uh... But especially uh, thanks to Michael Price for joining us tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the online universe in the U.S. market. Uh, Michael Price has been with the uh, uh, Tab Companies, which is one of the most historical, most important uh, importer and uh, actually even distributor, if I'm not wrong, of wine in the United States. So uh, nobody better than him. Uh, can introduce us to this very interesting topic because he's going to showcase a little bit the path of the online business before and after the pandemic that changed a lot. Uh, So again, thank you. And thank you, Michael. Let's start. So thanks for having me. Uh, I am super excited to talk about e-commerce in the U.S. marketplace, both pre and post pandemic, because there's a lot that's been happening over the last uh, three years. I've worked with the Taub family for over 20 years in a variety of portfolio, marketing, and now sales uh, functions, uh, and specifically over the last three years overseeing our e-commerce team. And just to jump right in, um, this is the wine industry's version of the game of telephone. So 20 years ago when I joined the Taub company, I couldn't believe that the wines need to start at the winery go to an importer, the best importer, but, uh, you know, an importer nonetheless. We've got to meet with a distributor executive who needs to green light the product, needs to then go to a distributor sales force, who then sells it to a wine director or retail store manager, and then it eventually winds up in the hands of a consumer. And it was like, could this be any more inefficient having to touch seven different hands to get from point A to point F. And the other part of this is not just the product, but the story of the winery directly coming from the owners having to be communicated through all of these different layers. By the end, the story is completely different. So what do consumers really want to hear? They want the authentic story directly from the winery owners or the principals. And that's what e-commerce has sort of leveled the playing field to be able to get the product quickly into the hands of customers and also tell the stories in a meaningful, passionate way. So when we at Taub talk about the U.S. e-commerce channel, there's a couple couple different elements that uh, go into it. Uh, The three-tier e-commerce national pure play. So these are the folks that buy through the distributor network, Wine.com, Amazon, GoPuff. Those are the principal players, the largest ones. Uh, And again, three-tier means they're buying through the distributor network. Two-tier, 
These are people that have national offers and marketplace, but no brick and mortar stores. Uh, this is Vivino, Wine Access, uh, a bunch of these other players that offer what's called flash sales. And they send an email out with a low price, and as a result, customers buy and, and have the wines shipped directly. And then three-tiered specialty retail, again, these are sort of regional brick-and-mortar stores, very famous, K&L in California, Sherry Lehman in New York, Wine Exchange in L.A., B21 in Florida. And these are folks that have a national reach and platform uh, because they've been doing this for a very long time. So March of 2020, the world turns upside down. Restaurants completely shut down. Retailers completely shut down for in-store shopping. And all of this pent-up sort of demand for wines starts to flow to e-commerce. And we use Wine.com as sort of the bellwether, the leading example, because they have 20,000 SKUs available. They've been doing this for 20-plus years. They're really a good example of... Uh, you know, what's happening in the marketplace. And their results in 2020 were nothing short of astounding. So they went from about 140 million in revenue, they did 330 million in revenue. So they more than doubled uh, their size. The active number of customers went from just under 400,000 to almost 700,000. Uh, the amount of their stewardship members, which is sort of like Amazon Prime, that also went through the roof and the average spend also went through the roof. So clearly, you know, e-commerce did really well during the pandemic. That's amazing. Um, we as, as Taub family uh, were named supplier of the year by wine.com, which was just an incredible honor during this time when everyone did really well and wine.com's business doubled. Our business quadrupled with them. Why? Because we carried brands, and, and other people the same, carried brands that consumers trusted, they know, they wanted, and they were able to find them on wine.com. And, uh, you know, that was a, a real sort of testament to our portfolio power uh, combined with customer, customer demand. A couple other things that wine.com did extremely well. So here's an example of virtual tastings. Wine.com had the consumer base. They had 700,000 unique people. They had the technology to do a Zoom tasting. And here's an example where Saskia Rothschild from DBR, we were able to get her uh, at 1 a.m. She was seven months pregnant at the time. And we got her on a Zoom. Customers ordered four different wines and had the chance to do a virtual tasting with her. That would have never happened, uh, you know, and she would have reached maybe... 10, 15, 20 people during a wine dinner, here she reached 5,000 people in one shot. So true power and testament to the technology uh, that evolved during uh, this time. The other thing that I think is really important to talk about with wine.com, something they do better than just about anyone else, is engage with regional uh, you know, consortiums and, and trade organizations. And, and I want to give credit to uh, the Colangelo uh, PR firm and to Noni Communications because they've really taken the lead in driving a lot of these consortiums to push 
to go into e-commerce and to give uh, marketing dollars to e-commerce players like Wine.com, where you're actually going to see a return on investment for uh, you know those wineries by selling and getting the product into the hands of consumers. That's not to say that print advertising is dead or digital advertising is dead, but working with trade organizations is something that these consortiums like Prosecco Doc, uh, Prosecco Week, uh, Sicilia Doc are doing extremely well. And this is a powerful tool. So let's talk about some hard data. Uh, you look at 2000, this is uh, November of 21, and you can look on the far left, that uh, gray bar is full year 2020, where e-commerce alcohol sales grew by 208%, okay? Everything doubled. Now you look at March to November, that nine-month time period of 2021 versus 2020, when you start to comp against sort of the peaks of the, the pandemic, the beginning, and you see a decline of 21%. Yet still, if you look at the same corresponding time period versus 2019, we're still up 173%, which is fantastic. Uh, on the right-hand side, the share of e-commerce, wine dominates alcohol beverage e-commerce with almost two-thirds uh, spirits, a little bit less, beer, flavor of malt beverage, and seltzers. Now, the most current snapshot that we have with June 2022 Nielsen data, and this is looking against two years ago, okay, so 2022 versus uh, 2020, you see that that 173% sort of carried all the way through until February of this year. And that's when things fell off a cliff. And you start looking at uh, February, March, April, May, and you start to see declines of 30%, 40%. So it came back to earth, right? Wasn't going to be able to grow by 200% indefinitely. But in, some, in summation, sort of like where we are today, in 2020, e-commerce alcohol sales in the U.S. took four steps forward and then one step back in 21 and one more step back in 2022. And Wine.com, as an example, as a leading player, you know, they hit 330 million in revenue. They're now trending off by 30 to 40% along with other players. There's increased competition. So there's new entrants into the category that are fighting for those high value collectors. Uh, that's important. Um, curbside pickup is becoming a thing. Total Wine, Walmart, you know, there are all these folks that are getting in. And then the other thing that is really critical is there's this massive arms race to find out who these collectors are to try and identify them. And Wine.com, some of the other players are spending millions of dollars in marketing to try to retain and find out who those players are. Um, brands absolutely matter. So what's doing well right now? Bordeaux, Burgundy, Barolo, Brunello, Amarone, Champagne, uh, Napa Cabs, Puglia, Puglia. And, uh, and so those are things that are, uh, that are doing well now. Um, E-commerce, it's a natural canvas to tell the stories of our brands. Uh, so the video content, the rich imagery, it's still the platform and, and a way that we want to communicate the winery stories direct to consumers 
Uh, and again, it's still the fastest growing part channel of our industry, where in 2019, it was $1.3 billion, and it's projected to be $4 billion this year. So there's no other channel that is growing you know, that amount of dollars and bringing that much revenue um, into, the, into the channel. So a couple sort of highlights and, and people that we like and are impressed by. Uh, show of hands, how many people have the Vivino app on their phone? Okay, that's pretty good. How within the last six months? It's about the same number. It's a pretty active user base. The thing that you know we're so impressed by with Vivino is they were the first ones to figure out that everyone is carrying around one of these, right? And the ease of use to be able to snap a photo, an image of the label to what have you, they were the ones that sort of, you know, got that quickly and then grew scale on a global basis. So they're in 70 different countries. They have almost 56 million users, okay? And that grew by about 20% over the pandemic. 1.9 billion bottle scans, right? Let that sink in for a second. These numbers are unheard of in terms of a community, a marketplace, a, a place that wine lovers are sort of gathered together. No one else has this. So why do we like working with them? You can sell direct and they can buy wine or they sell and market wine for us uh, in the U.S. There's seven other countries that they sell direct. And if you do a marketing spend to reach out to their customer base using uh, their platform for your winery and you spend $15,000, you have a leg up to be able to sell directly and hopefully recoup or get that ROI back. I think that's a really powerful thing that no one else is able to uh, sort of bring together. So my wife and I were sitting on our sofa in uh, June of this year and we're scrolling through Instagram one night and literally Every single person that we know in New York is having an Aperol spritz in front of the Treffy Fountain in Rome. And we're like, what is going on? Like this pent up demand for travel, fear of missing out, whether it was Italy or Spain or France or Greece or wherever, this incredible demand for travel, for experiences to get out was unleashed and let loose on Europe. So there was just this overrun of like US consumers that are out there. And, you know, we saw this headline uh, about United adding flights. They're already looking ahead to 2023 and saying, okay, what happened? You know, that was great. They're already like adding in and, and, and planning on additional growth. And that's a really powerful thing because if you look at, and this is a revenue chart for global tourism, you can see in 2020 that, you know, things sort of fell off a cliff. They rebounded a little bit in 2021. In 2022, we're just a little bit below the pre-pandemic levels of 2019. We expect in 2023 that it's going to increase and be above uh, the pre-pandemic levels. And then by 2026, we're talking about almost $1 trillion worth of travel and tourism. That's a really powerful thing because these people, these travelers, at least from the U.S., are the ones that are out there 
visiting wineries. They're the ones that have money to spend. Uh, they want to have these experiences, and there's an incredible value to these folks. So when we talk about agritourism and hotels and restaurants, you know, an example with a winery that we represent called Planeta, they have a hotel in Sicily called La Foresteria, um, Il Borgo, Castello Banfi, and Montalcino, Tuscany, um, a restaurant in Puglia that we've heard is pretty good. Um, and, you know, these are the, the, the places that you can engage with U.S. consumers to have, or global consumers, frankly, to have those experiences, capture the, 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 the value of that, and really, um, you know, create lifelong memories. And I wanted to give Vito a chance to talk a little bit about the restaurants that Tormoresca. No, let's say we, we are not really good at managing restaurants. So we always need to find good partners to uh, run them. Uh, it's a big, big headache. But, uh, of course, it's an investment. So for us, having a Tormoresca Bistro in the center of Milan, it's a way to showcase our products uh, for free, basically, if the management of the restaurant is is at least well well run uh, and so it's it's a way to touch the consumer uh, directly of course if you think in the business wise that the most successful companies in the world have uh, an absolutely direct contact with customers think of apple think of gucci they have their retails they have their online shops and with wine is a little bit more challenging that's why it's so interesting, Michael's presentation, because from his perspective, and he's an importer, uh, he has to manage the needs of uh, producers, of wine suppliers, and the opportunities of the market. So, kind of, uh, as we say in Italy, uh, lasciare un piede in ogni scarpa. So, uh, having a footprint on every little uh, opportunity that is around. One additional story about a producer that we work with, we'll, we'll leave it unnamed, uh, but pre-pandemic, they were seeing 70,000 uh, visitors globally. It's an Italian producer. They were seeing 70,000 global producers and 18,000 visitors were coming through their doors from the U.S. And we said to them, Hey, are you guys, you know, capturing any data? Are you, you know, keeping email addresses? Are you able to, uh, you know, communicate with them after they leave the winery? And it's kind of like, no, you know, we don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the uh, resources, the human capital. You know, Italy's a little squirrely with uh, privacy data, um, all those things, right? And... You know, my response to that as an importer and, and trying to, you know, lead our wineries to this opportunity is those 18,000 customers are gold. It's pure gold. They're coming over. They're spending money to get to the property. They, you know, are probably the trusted advisors in their friend group of, who to ask for the wine recommendations. They love food. They're coming to Italy because they have these experiences that they want to have and then bring home. Those 18,000 consumers, that, that's the, what we're all striving to try to capture. 
And I'll give you, you know, an example here on the next slide. This is a winery in, in Napa. It's an amazing brand, and uh, they've been at this for 40-plus years. It's called Duckhorn. They just went public in 2020. This is all information that was part of their 10K financial statements. So it's, you know, public data, which is actually pretty unique because these Napa wineries don't like to share uh, what is proprietary D2C information. So you can see the chart that shows... You know, their revenue growth from 117 million to uh, north of 200. Their 2019, which was the last year they released D2C data, they had 55,000 wine club members. So these are people that have signed up for their wine club to get limited release offerings, uh, shipments on a consistent basis. They had over 100,000 visitors to their wineries and tasting rooms. And 20% of their sales were coming through the D2C channel. Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at winetowine.net. That's an unbelievable number. And yes, they are an outlier. There's a few people that are like them. Maybe there's people that are smaller scale that are seeing these kinds of numbers. But the, the takeaway here, and this is the number that just sort of blew me out of the water, is the free cash flow that, that throws off on 200, you know, 20 million worth of, of revenue. And they've got EBITDA of north of 40%. That's incredible. So the financial implications of being able to own that customer relationship, uh, to have that communication, to know who your customers are, this is the power. This is the future. And even if you're an Italian winery that, you know, is... 18,000, uh, you know, U.S. visitors, if you can take one small step towards getting there, there's huge financial gain and power to be had there. A couple more uh, just, you know, elements that I want to touch on here. So the digital toolbox. Every winery has photos, videos, content, stuff that you're putting out on Instagram, social media, like there's just a, a wealth of, of stuff that you have. If you can put that together and drive it towards commercial applicability, retailers will clamor for this to help sell wine. This is an example of the wine exchange. It's a retail store in Los Angeles. Our guys were able to go in there and we were able to sell in 2006 Cold Orchard Brunello de Montalcino and 2016 so a decade, 10-year difference of this wine offering. They put it out in an email blast to their people. They use video content. They used a story. They used photos. They told the story of the Cinzano family. We sold a bunch of wine. That's awesome. But look at this image that gets sent out to 10,000 email recipients. It's a marketing play, right? It's pure marketing, and it's exclusive only to that winery. 
And if you multiply that out by, you know, these are a handful of some of the bigger names that are doing this and have been doing this for a long time. But the pandemic has taught us and taught retailers that e-retailing is the future. So there's a thousand retailers that are using email blasts that if you can create digital content, hand that over to your importers and allow the importers to implement that as a commercial viability, the multiply effect is massive. So two last slides that uh, I just want to touch on. Wine Access is one of the sort of historic names in e-retailing out of Napa Valley. They've been around for 20 plus years. They were typically a flash sale site, so they would send out an email blast and, you know, get uh, responses on it. And that business started to sort of suffer. They had a change of management. There was a lot of things that were going on with them. But in 2020, 2021, and 2022, they saw their business change a little bit. And they started to see a real uptick in their subscription model, their wine clubs. And I think the biggest reason why was they affiliated and worked with some really big names like the Michelin Guide, Decanter Magazine, um, and helped sort of like market themselves in those email databases. But also, they had the Michelin sommeliers curate specific brands that were part of this. This wasn't just like Vito and Michael's wine club, right? The Michelin Guide really meant something. And the brands that are going in there are the biggest names that we represent. There's credibility that comes with that. And this is another example of technology allowing us to connect directly with consumers and take away that distributor bottleneck, which is a hindrance to everyone. And then one last slide. Again, you know, Wine Clubs 2.0. I think this is a fascinating example of something that, you know, the pandemic caused to make people pivot. Table 22 is a technology platform that's based in the U.S. And restaurants, when they shut down or, you know, had to uh, close for a limited amount of time in, in 2020, they were looking for revenue streams to be able to offset some of the lost revenue. So they started to offer meals to go, drinks to go, like there were all these things that were being offered. One of the things that restaurants hit on was, okay, we have relationships with our distributors, we're buying wines, why can't we curate a wine to go program where you come by and pick up a selection of wines that you drop off or what have you? And that idea has spread like wildfire. So Table 22 is now in 60 different cities in the U.S. They're working with some of the biggest, most reputable names. They're offering uh, restaurants can do food, uh, produce, wines, a big one. And the beauty of this is restaurants tend to buy the more esoteric boutique names and brands. And this is an equalizer for restaurants or sommeliers that you've had a chance to build relationships with over the course of years to support your brand. And instead of buying 10 cases a month, maybe it's 20. Uh, Coat uh, is another big name restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, they created a wine club and really did a, a pretty big uh, deal marketing effort on this. You get a membership card, you get a shipment of wine, you get discounts to the restaurant, private access to the events, uh, reservations. Restaurants have really embraced and pivoted uh, into this. 
And then the last one is uh, uh, the hottest restaurant in Miami. Uh, it's a Michelin star called Boya Day. They just launched a, a wine club in uh, tandem with Table 22. And this trend just feels like it has a lot of legs and a lot of uh, runway to go. And it's another way that when you think back to that original slide of winery and end consumer, you're squeezing the channel and the supply chain to get the wine and the story directly into the hands of consumers. And I think that's the magic of what technology, e-commerce uh, has done. And it's really an exciting future uh, for us all. So that's it on uh, the slides. Um, I think we're going to open it up to questions. You wanted to? Yes, start? I think we have 15 minutes. So I, I, um, I hope there's many questions because it's such an interesting topic. But uh, I'm going to steal the opportunity first. So I'm going to ask the first question. And it's a sneaky one, so uh, you have to forgive me. We know, and, and Michael really described it perfectly, how uh, now uh, knowledge about private uh, consumers, so their data, their information, is maybe the most precious treasure that any business can hold. And so uh, the question is to Michael, the importer and the distributor. How can you manage to, let's say, let the wineries share those information without them trying to get straight to the consumer? And so how to manage, let's say, this uh, constant uh, uh, fight around these precious uh, data? This is <laughs> the big struggle here. It's a great, great question. You know, I think it really speaks to the importance of the relationship between the importer and the, the winery, right? Leading importers, and I'll use us as an example, the way that we interact with our wineries is we try to lead uh, our wineries to these opportunities. When the pandemic shut everything down, we pivoted and we led them to these relationships that we had cultivated with wine.com, wine access, and, and the myriad of others. There's a trust that goes in that we are stewarding your brands into the right places or positioning them in the right channels and the right arenas. And in the same way, the customer relationship, the people that are visiting the wineries, we're going to do the right thing to sort of manage that data and make sure that it's entrusted and you know utilized with care. And I think that really speaks to the power of that importer winery and consumer relationship. And there's a few importers that are, are like that, that have these long-term 30, 40-year relationships with their uh, wineries in the U.S. The Taubes are, are one example of that, and I think we do that incredibly well. And I think we're really on the cusp of capitalizing on these consumer visits. And that's the holy grail that uh, we're sort of all working towards right now. So, More questions, please. First of all, brilliant presentation. Um, I have a question. In a couple of the uh, seminars we've sat in on this week, there's been a lot of talk about building luxury fine wine brands, the importance of doing that in the on-premise. Uh, your presentation that you've uh, presented today so clearly is a little bit contrarian to that in the way that you're allowed, that you've been able to tell the stories of these wineries and have real uh, tangible marketing um, value add through e-commerce. So I just wanted to give you a platform to speak about that and what you think on that. Yeah, I mean, I think 
when we talk about the building of luxury brands, right, and that $50-60-75 price point and up, e-commerce is just the perfect channel to, to do that, to be able to tell the stories effectively, to talk about the history, to talk about the families, the relationships, like what makes those brands special and so unique, right? You don't get that ability to tell a story in a shelf talker in a store, right? So, you know, again, sort of going back to the richness of the video content, the pictures, the, the stories that, you know, come through on these, I think e-commerce is the, the perfect vehicle to be able to supplement that in addition to on-premise and independent luxury retail. And it's sort of that trifecta, and I'll sum up here because I think we're, we're coming down to the wire, but, you know, in this new normal, right, November of 2022, it's all about omni-channel. You have to have the on-premise working and distribution in the places where restaurants, uh, you know, have the right brands, the right wines. And as an example, you know, we work with Michelin rated restaurants, three-star restaurants. Our biggest on-premise customer also happens to be the Olive Garden. And there's a place for customers to discover those wines and have entry into the wine category at the Olive Garden. It's an important customer. Um, so the omni-channel, be it uh, on-premise, retail, and e-commerce, and we talked about this uh, you know, just before, it's a three-legged stool. And it's critical that all three legs are built and that you have your brands being built in the various markets where you're selling using all three tools right now. Um, secondly, brands still absolutely matter. Customers gravitated towards those brands in 2020. Those were the things that did extremely well. They still are doing well and will continue to do well uh, in e-commerce. We talked about the natural canvas for the storytelling of our brands. It is the perfect place, the perfect uh, venue and channel to be uh, using this digital toolbox that we talked about. Um, D2C, owning that customer relationship and that lifetime value of those 18,000 visitors that are going through your winery door, that's a lifetime value that will never, ever go away. And then I think the thing that the pandemic taught us all is okay, we have to pivot. Now we have technology to be able to utilize and to create these new wine clubs or GoPuff direct to consumer or whatever it is that's now coming down the pipeline that we didn't even think about three years ago. So um, I've heard a little bit story about like this conference and these presentations and the, the, the comment was like, if we can sell one more bottle than we did before, that would be a huge win. And I'd like to add one caveat here, which is if we can sell one more bottle of wine via e-commerce, as opposed to having that bottle sit at the distributor in their warehouse, I would consider this presentation a huge win. So thanks very much for your time. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts,
Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.